0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple of pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Rev. Dr. Sophia Fosua. She's been a regular uh, guest here on Fresh Text. She is a uh, professor of worship and preaching and spiritual formation and a whole host of things uh, for Wesley Seminary uh, here at Indian Wesleyan, as well as a longtime pastor and leader in the United Methodist denomination. And our text this week is Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Micah 6, verses 1 through 8 which is the assigned Old Testament lesson for the fourth Sunday after Advent uh, in the year A of the Revised Common Lectionary. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already doing so, so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening uh, and you're enjoying the show, go ahead and hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice and share the episode or the whole show on social media or with a friend, uh, just to let us know what we're doing so they can benefit and enjoy it as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Sophia. Well, shall we jump in? Alrighty. Yeah. Would you like to read the passage or say a prayer after? I'm cool with either. Which I'd one? like
1: to read the passage.
0: Okay, you read and I'll pray. Okay. Micah 6
1: 1 through 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God?
0: The word of the Lord.
1: (laughs) Thanks be to God.
0: Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, the very word by which you created all things, the very word by which you called Israel out of Egypt to yourself, and the very word that spoke through the prophets, including especially the prophet Micah today, that we are hearing and attending to. God, we dare to ask that this very word of yours would be heard in our midst today, that both Sophia and I would be uh, enabled by your spirit to be hearers of the word and bearers of that word, and that all those who are listening in across time and space to this recording uh, will themselves be moved by the spirit to receive the word of God that you have for them whether that's with the grain or against the grain of what uh, she and I uh, share from our own heart and mind today. We ask, Lord, that you would do all these things, and we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is your Word made flesh, and whose appearing, whose epiphany, whose manifestation we remember in this season. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen
1: amen
0: yeah so can i uh ask a general question just for fun uh i i did sometimes i'll say to my our listeners that uh sometimes with uh my conversation partners on the show as i'm putting the schedule together i'll throw out some options of texts you know depending on how the schedule is coming together and i gave uh uh, Sophia, a few options, and she uh, selected this one. So I, I'm just curious as an entry point, uh, what draws you in particular to this text when you, you know, could have grabbed one from another place? Maybe it was, but you just didn't like the other
1: one. I don't know. But <laughs> what about oh, I Micah actually Six, like both, I actually I know. like both of the texts, but um, this text is one that I've handled a lot over the last okay. 30 some odd years, and I keep getting drawn back to it. I used mm. it sermonically. There are songs written about this particular uh, text yeah. that I often lead congregations in, or if I'm doing workshops, I may start with it. Micah is just kind of a, a, a familiar, cozy friend, and and that might sound a little strange because this is a strident text.
0: Yeah, it's not a cozy text. <laughs> no, it's not a cozy
1: text. But you can make
0: verse 8 sound time. cozy out of context, but... <laughs> right, right, right,
1: right. We don't live in cozy times. Yeah, and I don't know yeah. if I have ever been in ministry in cozy times. Hmm. But this is a text that speaks directly to uh, the quote-unquote problem that we have in our relationships with God. Hmm. We don't know what God wants. hmm. Have 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 you seen couples, you know, and I've done you know couples therapy and all that kind of stuff as a pastor, and they keep missing each other because one is giving the other what they want, but not what, you know. Right. And so we don't know what to do with God. We don't know what God wants, and we keep offering the wrong things. And 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 God wants our heart, He wants our He wants our 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 moral. Uh, compass. He wants all those things and we want to give him rivers of oil and, and rams. And, and what well, do you want my firstborn? Mm. And, and it's like missing God because we didn't quite know that it was so simple what God wanted. So, so this piece, it, it strikes me as that, it, it strikes me as people who really want to be with each other and missing. Now mm. God's not missing because God knows what to do but we are missing because we don't know what to do for and with God. What is God expecting?
0: Hmm. Oh, that's that analogy to the way that plays out in, in all relationships. Uh, yeah. But especially um, married couples, especially cause just to play with that a little, I, you mentioned like, you know, especially like a young couple starting out, but of course, you know, even, you know, relatively healthy, mature couples can can slip into that because when you're, especially when you're thinned out and stressed with life, with kids, oh, yeah. with jobs,
1: yeah. that's that's the thing.
0: <laughs> you, you go to your familiar. You go to what makes you go to you press the easy button on your yes. relationships, and for me, the easy button is to give what I would want, right? Um, and or to give or to follow a script. What did my dad give my mom? Right. right and so you right, see that exactly. even in this passage in verse six, six and seven, these, these lists of things are the, are either just valuable things that if we proje- as a projection, if I was mm-hmm. God, what would I want?
1: Right. You if know, I were God, I would want rivers of oil. You know? Yeah.
0: Right. Right. I'd want stuff. I'd want, I'd want fame. I would want glory. I would want on uh, wealth. Um, And then but also looking sideways to what other other relationships are doing, you know, right. other faiths. And so you're right. looking at the Canaanites saying, well, you know, they they sacrificed their firstborn, right? That's the great act of, you know, that's right. a exactly. common practice in Canaanite religion and and like surely that's what I should do, you know. Um, and and then this this uh, interesting moment in verse eight. That in context, when I see this verse in con out of context, as it often is, right? We mm-hmm. have songs that just do verse eight, or it's put up on a wall. Yeah, I've it's on it. the walls a lot. Yes. Yeah, it was on the wall at the the synagogue here in Marion. Is it was, it was a moment of I remember the first time I went there for uh, a Sabbath service, and and was just struck by right, you know right. how much that was a beloved text in in the Jewish community and. And, you know, it just says Micah 6, 8 under it. And, and so you kind of think like, oh, it's Micah telling me, the reader, what to do.
1: Right. Out of right.
0: context. But in context, it's like this internal struggle, right? It, it's not he, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord has told you, dear listener. I mean, it, it's functioning that way indirectly. But just in the language, it's this kind of dialogue with himself. It feels like almost like a psalm, you know, um, where he's kind of saying, you know what should i bring and then he's like he's remembering like mm-hmm. oh he has told me what to do he's told me i need yeah. to remember and it makes me think of some of those psalms where it says what should i bring you lord but you you know you, you have right. all that you need
1: what shall uh, i render you know yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah and so so the the notion of this as an internal dialogue which then back to the analogy that you introduced again probably stretching it beyond recognition but the fact that <laughs> Like I said, easy button. What's not happening here is just the easy button, but actually pausing button. and asking, what is it that you really want, Lord? Right. And pausing and actually remembering what it is that he um, has summoned forth from us. That's what it. What he calls That's for, it. what he invites. That's it. That's it.
1: The, the, and then um, the, the form of the text uh, mirrors another of my favorites in Isaiah, the Song of the Vineyard.
0: Ah, yeah.
1: You know, I've tended you. I've done these things for yes. you. What do I get? Sour grapes. So, <laughs> so God has a complaint. Yeah. God has a complaint. We don't think of God as a complainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But from time to time, God has a complaint. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is one of those times, you know. Like I said, it mirrors for me the song of the vineyard in Isaiah that God has a complaint, and uh, this one is a a, a a a a earthly court trial.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's what an image to to summon all the
1: right. Let the hills hear what you have the, to say.
0: Are they the jury, perhaps? Perhaps, uh, as it were. I mean, the ancient courts weren't identical to ours, but in the sense of they're the witnesses to mm-hmm. the proceedings, right? They're listening to you. Yeah. Um, and y'all can judge whether my complaint is, you know, because uh, of course, normally it would have to be, I mean, it's, it's beautiful because obviously the, the re the reeb here, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, the, the, the complaint, right. This yes. word that's used twice a reeb, um, which is this kind of a form, issuing a formal complaint when someone, you know, if, if I had, I I had, if I needed, if I believed that you had taken some of my cattle, right. 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 (laughs) I would take you. And of course in this world, it would be your household, you know, uh, and whoever had legal standing in your household would take you to before the elders in the, in the, in the gate. Right. And it would be, you know, Hey elders, listen up. Uh, um, judge between us, uh, right, you know, exactly. my cows, and here's my evidence, and here's my story, and and they make the judgment call. But in God's case, uh, he there's no one for God to appeal to above God's own authority. No. So he kind of indirectly appeals to himself by, well, I'll just appeal to all of creation. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> right? Which all of is, creation knows you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. It's kind of like next best thing is, you know, I'm not going to, you know, because there's no king or judge or there's no human to appeal to. And so that would be above him. Not that the earth is above the Lord, but at least. No, it's kinda, no,
1: but it's interesting. Gives the cosmic,
0: the cosmic uh, scale. It, yeah, it's, it's a cosmic <laughs>
1: stage. And it's interesting how in the prophets... Nature does take a prominent place. Yeah, the mountains yeah. and the hills shall break forth into singing, and, and, and the trees will clap their hands. You know, we we see these things in in the in the poets and in the prophets that uh, a part of their world includes the mountains and the hills hmm. and the streams and the things that God has made. So they are not deified, but they're included yeah. as we think about. Where our place is in this world,
0: hmm. Hmm. I wonder if there's some. And perhaps I'm getting too uh, philosophical here, but if there's some kind of logical, there seems to be some connection between the prophetic, um, the the kind of the, sh, the 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 alteration or the the modification, I'll say, of the relationship between. Um, the Lord and his people um, because there's a tension being introduced, you know, that, that, that reference to God's uh, stat God's uh, identity as creator becomes Mm -hmm. this crucial aspect. Not that God is not the creator in the Torah and in the, the earlier prophets in these narratives, but the, what's, what's in the foreground with the exception of, the opening chapters, which Mm -hmm. probably are much later in their written, in their written form, probably influenced by this kind of more prophetic thinking perhaps, but whatever they were written, the point is, is most from Genesis 12 through second Kings, the what's in the foreground is God as the covenant, the one who's in connection with the people. And he doesn't cease to be the covenant God, but it's like, but he's reminding them. Yeah, I'm the covenant God, but I'm also the creator God, which means Exactly. There was when you were not, <laughs> right? right. And, and I chose to enter into this relationship, and this relationship has terms, and when you drop those terms, um, you know uh, the relationship can enter into radical kind of strain, and so it's because there's tension in the relationship. It's almost as if God is saying, "I would prefer to appeal to the elders of Israel, but since my complaint is to the it's elders of it's Israel." <laughs> I have to appeal to my this wider cosmic community right. that I'm also the Lord of. I don't know if that makes any sense or. If it it cool absolutely
1: does make sense, and and you know that I have been uh, gifted with the, um, the 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 time that I was able to spend with a lot of our Native American elders yeah. in the church, um, and and a lot of our tribal leaders, and seeing yourself as a part of creation is part of the yeah. spirituality. Of the Native American Christian community, and the more I think about this, the more I'm starting to lean with understanding what they mean. Because go go back to the uh, to the to the triumphal entry. If these could hold their peace, ah. even the rocks would cry out. You know, so there's a, a an animation given. You know, in a lot of the texts in the in the prophets, and then even Jesus himself uh, to understanding that creation speaks. God made it, and it speaks. We have been placed into a mindset of exploiting creation. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were given it to guard and to tend and to keep and, and, and all of that. But uh, other people groups see themselves as one of many things that God has made. Yeah. And maybe of a higher order, but one of many things that God has made. And so I acknowledge that God made me, God made this, My, you know, God made everything and we think of things just being there for us to exploit to make money off of to use build our houses you know fuel our cars or whatever whatever and we take more than we need because our relationship with creation the creation that god made and placed us in to sustain us our relationship with it is flawed if you get where uh, i'm going
0: here I, I do and it connects to the not only the beginning of the passage where of course there's the tension between Yeah. The creation. And, but then all of a sudden that helps me see six and seven differently. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not that this is an, I, I mean, I don't think this is, I mean, maybe I'll bracket out the question of whether this is a wholesale rejection of the sacrificial system. I I don't think, I think that case. Well, no, I don't think so. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a hard claim to make, but you can see in six and seven verse six and seven, a. A exploitative use of creation to try to please God, the the covenant God, and it's like, I'm the Creator God. Shall I get you this? Shall I get you that? Do you
1: want to make? Did you want a Mercedes? You know, it's an exploitative type thing.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's like all of creation, and 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 in a way, indirectly, the the summoning of the hills and the mountains and the foundations of the earth in verses one and two, sort of already uh expose the uh, vacuousness of six and seven right, right it's right, like right. I already have all of that
1: <laughs> right, and you're um. not offering it the right way
0: <laughs> exactly you right. know
1: if i if I go back to my, my my ancient Pentateuch classes and all the other things that I mm-hmm. took coming along um offering a a ram or a lamb or whatever, you're placing your weight on it. You know, people are standing up on it and there's this substitutionary thing and there's a relationship. You're touching this thing and, and you know that you're responsible for its coming death. And, and, and that gets really cavalier when I get 10,000 of them. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know,
1: and, and, and so, so this exploitative thing is not what God wants. The, the quantity Is not what God wants. God wants you. God (laughs) wants pure you. Holy you. Godly you. The true you. The true you. (laughs)
0: The real you. The you
1: you were intended to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's when we go on autopilot. Yes. uh, Is when we just give objects and the way that gifts can actually function as a Gifts can be an expression yes. of connection or they can be a, a boundary between people, you know, as a, here, take this. Cause I don't want to give you me. So I'll give a you a substitution. Su- right, right, right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. As opposed to a representation, right. A substitution right. here, take the Ram. Cause I don't want you, I don't want you to have me, Yeah, but rather this Ram is my way of saying I'm yours. Right? I'm
1: yours. Yeah. That's it. So, so yeah. it really strikes that. So when you, when you start thinking about the sacrificial system, every time God indicts it, it's because you didn't get this. Hmm. You didn't understand what was supposed to be happening here. You can't be so cavalier in your, your, your execution of this system. You're not understanding the, the true meaning of the things that you're doing. And whenever worship is indicted by the prophets, that's the same kind of thing. Yeah, Isaiah 58, the, the fast that I have chosen, ah. it's not to run around with your face sour and your and your stomach empty and, 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 and bragging about how many days you've gone without food or water. But 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 are you being kind to your neighbor? This is the fast I've chosen. You know, we don't get it. It's back to kind of my original comments. We, we want to love God, but we don't know what God wants.
0: I love it. I love it. Let's take a quick break and then come back and keep digging in and see where this leads. All right, at. then. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, I'm here with uh, Sophia Fasua, and we are looking at Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Micah 6, uh, 1 through 8. And yeah. Um I had a couple questions that I just wanted to ask you and we can have that larger framing in mind. Um I, I had a curiosity and I wondered what you thought about this. So in verse uh three through five, which you mentioned, has because we kinda we, we I, it occurred to me uh during the break that we our conversation focused mostly on kind of one and two and six and eight. So I just want right, to glance right, at right, three right. through five. So we mentioned We spoke of it formally and generically about this, this read, this complaint that's being set forth against, and you said it has a familiar form and it does kind of, this is what I've done for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And what grabbed me, verse four doesn't surprise me at all. This appeal to God as the one who brings you out of Egypt. I mean, if there's any event that, that identifies God in the scriptures, it's this I was the one who brought you out of Egypt right, of it's Egypt. right there. And the, it's, it's the first word of the Decalogue. Right. Um, but then, and, the, and then the specifying of names is a little more interesting, but still Moses, Aaron, Miriam. maybe we come back to that. But then in five, the, I'm going to remind you of a particular moment in our history together. Mm-hmm. Right. And it goes to this moment in numbers. Yes. Um, uh, balak the king of moab and how the whole story of balaam i just find it really strange like why of all the stories he could pick what is it about god's message to his people uh in this text through the micah what is it because he doesn't kind of he doesn't explain it <laughs> and i was wondering if you had some <gasps> answers. Uh, why, why do you think Balaam kind of fits the story? I mean, maybe you don't.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it does fit the story in the sense that um, even when our motives are mixed, God is still righteous.
0: <laughs> oh, oh that, it, that does fit that last line, too. So you may know the righteous acts of the Lord.
1: Right. Even when we're <sighs> not quite right. God is still righteous. I remember uh, Bible college before seminary. You know, I went to Bible college and we, we were uh, dealing with the fall of the televangelist mm. in, in those days. It was in the 80s. And we were dealing with the rise and fall of televangelism and all these exposes were starting to come out. And uh, as students, we asked our professors. What do we make of this? Were they always just false prophets or Uh, were, you know, were they were they were they flawed people? What what was going on here? Uh, Especially so many of them every week. It was somebody different, you know. And one of the professors responded, God is able to strike a mighty blow with a crooked stick. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's been almost 40 years and I can still remember the professor who said it, the tone he did, it set it in and and all of that. But we're finding that, uh, this whole thing with Balaam, especially, he was a flawed prophet and yet God was still righteous, was still able to use him. He was the one that available chosen for whatever God's reasons, but, uh, God is still righteous no matter how mixed we may be. Mm. And so when I, when I look at that, okay, Moses and Miriam, you can kind of hear that one. Uh, you can hear Aaron. You can hear some of the others that he might have brought up. But going back to a flawed prophet that still God was still able to use. Um, well, that's there's, there's hope for me too. But, <laughs> but, but we're reminded that no matter who or what we are, God is righteous and does righteous works.
0: God, I'm writing it down. It's so good. God can strike a mighty blow, with even a with a crooked stick. stick. Hmm. And that actually, that actually, just the passing uh, connection to earlier in the conversation um, is even relevant for uh, the assessment of the sacrificial system here, right? Where right, it's, it's right. not, it doesn't have to be taken as. Um, you know, there's absolutely no holiness whatsoever being uh, enacted in the Levitical system because of God's covenant. It is, but it's because of God, right? (laughs) Not because, you know, we, we we in our abuse of the, of the, the practice uh, are undermining it. And yet at the same time, God is still with his people. And so um, because of him, they remain holy, but they are not holy. (laughs) Uh, They are not, you know, living up to that holiness that he is granting to them.
1: You you see that, that indictment of the sacrificial system going on throughout the Old Testament. And then you see it again, you know, like the widow's mite. Mm-hmm. And some of the other, you know, passages that we have in the New Testament, where it calls into question uh, what, what attitude and and what was your heart like when you did certain things. Uh, so it's, it's it seems like it was a constant refrain. So this doesn't strike me as like throw the throw the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. It, it's like okay, they missed again, you know. Mm-hmm. But but yet there were pure pious people still understanding why and how they were giving their sacrifices. I think during that time, and uh, when we sacrifice for for God now, there are some who do it for show, you know, but there are mm-hmm. others who do it because that's that's your offering. That's what you're offering God. You're offering God your time, your talent, your gift, your service. You know, you're offering these things. So I, I don't see it as an indictment, but I do see that uh, an acknowledgement that sometimes we are not, where we need to be, and yet God still is righteous in the way that the outcomes are engineered. That's, that's yeah, kind of no. what I make of that particular passage.
0: No, I, that's beautiful, and it, and it, it uh, puts into sharp relief this, uh, you know, this suggestion that Israel, on the one hand, they may be occupying the kind of place of Balaam, yeah, You know, yeah, as, yeah. as those who are falling into falsehood and yet God is working despite, um, or, I mean, it suddenly occurred to me that it could flip around to this sort of given the context of the prophets and the leading mm-hmm. up and, and the, all the nations coming around threatening them. And this reminder, Hey, this is just dawned on me. Remember, mm-hmm. uh, the, these nations are going to take you out unless I'm intervening. Right. I'm not just working with you. No, I'm working there to protect you. If I were to withhold that manipulation of these forces, you're going down. You're going Um, down. Yeah. And that's precisely what takes place, uh, in the Assyrian, uh, smashing of, of the Northern tribes and, and the exile later of, of Judah. So I don't know. I just thought,
1: yeah, it was allowed. It was allowed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. that uh and you know if you want to be uh you know if you want to be you know in the good graces of the covenant then verse 8 has laid it out quite clearly. Right.
1: right. He has showed um,
0: you. Yeah. to do I I would love to ask you knowing that you've you've preached and taught on these texts before like a little bit of just about these phrases like um, both what they mean and why these three, why is this the kind of, why not only has Micah chosen to identify these as the kind of, uh, a sort of almost summary of the spirit of the law, as it were. Right. Right. Um, right. but then also in our own tradition, in the whole Christian tradition and in the Jewish tradition as well, that these have been consistently seized on as a, as a, you know, alongside say, you know, uh, Love God, love your neighbor, right? Right, just, right, you right. Can right. See, you can see this being a, a, a an excellent uh, shorthand, just, just as the phrase that's repeated so often of you know, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, mm-hmm. is a kind of mm-hmm. obviously there's more that could be said about God, but that's a great, you know, biblical shorthand of of who God is. Um, in the same way that for centuries, Christians have kind of been drawn to verse eight as a kind of encapsulation of the spirit of right. the law. And, and I just kind of wonder, like, what do you think, what, what are some of your thoughts about these phrases and their meaning and their distinctness from each other? I don't know. I just love, I'd love to hear you wax eloquent, you know, no pressure.
1: Um, <laughs> no pressure. All these,
0: no these three. On I, I these see three them as failures.
1: intertwined. Okay. We have seen what justice looks like without mercy. It, you know, justice without mercy almost becomes vengeance, retribution, vindictiveness. You know, it, 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 it yeah. can bleed into some other places. And um, mercy without justice yeah. doesn't look too nice either.
0: Yeah, it's just, it just leaves the oppression in place, right? Doesn't, and, and, <laughs> doesn't address and, and mercy
1: injustice. without humility. Doesn't look
0: mm. nice. Ah, <laughs> uh, say more about that.
1: Yeah, the the people who sound their trumpet on the street corners, telling you what all they be <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't look nice. Yeah, and and mercy without justice. I mean, so when you look at them as a as a yeah. triangle, an interrelated triangle, almost like a trin- trinitarian triangle, mm-hmm. they they inform one another in such profound ways that it seems like this was just a brilliant capture of Mm -hmm. the spirit of godliness. Yeah. Justice, mercy, and humility. Um, And we look for that in our spiritual leaders. We look for that in our national and international leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And when it is missing, it is glaring and awful. If any one of those is missing, it Mm -hmm. is glaring and awful. I was um, living in Europe during the entire Carter administration. And, uh, you know, when you get news when you're not living in your own country, the news is always just kind of abbreviated. and incomplete and so forth. So I really can't tell you what Carter did during his administration, but since he, you know, he's a one-term president too. Right, right. But since his administration ended, he has worked for justice and mercy and done so with humility all over the world.
0: Yeah.
1: I cannot tell you how beloved he was in Africa. You know I didn't know much like I said I was I was, in, I was in in Europe during his administration. I don't know what he did and what he didn't do, but um afterwards, he has taken his Sunday school because he, you know he's a Sunday school teacher. He's taken his Sunday school teaching and he's been just and merciful all over and he and and with humility he's not up tooting his horn talking yeah. about what all he's done for you know this country and that country and these people and those poor you know indigent folks yeah. he just goes and does the thing and loves the folks and does it with God's mercy and he does it because of the mercy of God So if you're looking for like a a, a real human illustration and it doesn't matter about the politics, I hate politics right now, but the the man, you know, tried to walk justly, humbly and with mercy. Uh, And so you look at some of our beloved people like mother Teresa, she did Mm -hmm. everything with mercy. I don't know too much where she was in the justice part, but she did everything with mercy and humility and, and the people I think that God uh, smiles over yeah, are those folks who have learned that balance? Because justice without mercy looks ugly. Mercy without justice is awful, you know. And yeah. and then either of them without humility, you know.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. It was just I was thinking about mercy without humility is 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 patronizing, right? It's it this is. ah I'm care you know. Uh, it, it's insulting. Yeah. And and justice without humility is since I mean humility is a a precondition for true knowledge and yeah. justice is only just when it's rooted in the truth of what really is like we in said earlier truth. with who 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 whose cow is this really when we were looking right, for right. justice at, in, in the gate, right? Right. Um you have to have the humility to to welcome new evidence. Uh, so true justice, true mercy uh, require humility. Right. Uh, they do. That's a, that's a, I mean, of course I'm, my mind is just loving this little triad that you've set forth and the, the necessity of each, especially even just, it would even be, it even, I just want to explore it for a moment, like to even identify what is it? What is it that justice without mercy I'm trying to think. Like, what's the right phrase for it? Is justice without mercy? Is just, uh, I don't know. Is it just dominance? Is it just control? Is it just order? Is it, you know what I mean? There's some word that, that, and it, and it may be, you could say even it's true justice, but not it's not perfect justice. There, no. there could be an element of true justice that happens, um, but when it lacks that that covenantal love of that that faithfulness, that kindness, that I mean, because it is it is Chesed here, Chesed, yeah, yeah, a word, um, which includes mercy, but is this really rich word, you know? And to who who loves to be faithful to one's covenant, right? Is yeah. is a way I'm I'm attempting to translate uh, dynamically that phrase that that one is passionate about one's uh, covenantal commitments. That would be yeah, a possible right. translation of to love mercy, right, which means being merciful to those who one is committed to and not just setting them aside the moment they bother you, um, so mercy is entailed, but not the whole of that and right,
1: right and as we know
0: with justice when justice is executed as as just the powerful against other powers or against the powerless um, or,
1: or just giving you what you deserve, you yeah.
0: Know? I, I'm thinking I mean, about how much'll go ahead go ahead
1: I'm thinking about church discipline hmm, and
0: hmm, church hmm. discipline
1: is a touchy subject depending on what denomination you're in you know but yeah. church discipline um, hmm. we're, we're in covenant with one another especially the covenant of the elders you know the elders are in covenant with one another to not to not uh, abuse the sheep you know yeah. and to not do certain things but when those covenants are broken and you have to call another elder to accountability. And the yes. church has dealt with this with the with the with the uh, sex scandals, you know, the, mm-hmm. the child uh, 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 pedophilia and all that. We've dealt with that before. But when when we have to call elders into um, accountability, it is always uh, done best with mercy, not to let them off. Right. But with also the humility, you know, take heed lest you also fall. You know, that's, that's, that's biblical as well. Right. Uh, and, and with weeping and with weeping, as you're yeah. restoring your brother or your sister in ministry that has, has had a moral failure or whatever, whatever, it's never with the punitive, I'm going to expose you. I'm going to make sure the high heavens know what you've done. No, no, no. We, we always keep those things close to the chest And we do it with mercy. We consider the 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 spouses that might be involved and the children who may have to deal with it. And you know, so there's a mercy uh, element that's that's there that makes it a more perfect process when we have to call one another to accountability over our covenants. And I believe God is merciful with us in that way because we all know sometimes that we should have been punished and we didn't get it, yeah. you know, because God gave us a chance to try to straighten our act out or whatever it might be. But then we also know that God is just and if there comes a time, you know. So I, yeah, I see I, it in, I see in different. Church, uh, church discipline. A lot of churches dis- discipline, and some churches don't because they don't even feel qualified to do so, I imagine. Yeah,
0: but and that's the uh, justice-mercy connection, right, is you, you've got denominations that, or local churches that we'll have justice without mercy. You know, I've seen this Mm -hmm. a lot in scandal contexts where it's just how, what can we do to get rid of the person? And now we're pure, right. Which lacks humility as well. Right. But then you see the opposite in cover up, which is mercy without justice. Right. It's kind of, we're going to be so, you know, Oh, we've made a covenant with this person. We're going to be faithful to them as one of our own. We're going to make sure they're protected. Mm -hmm. um, Even if they've, done wrong that needs to be corrected and the, and their influence limited and whatever. Um, So I think that application is really good, but where you landed is so significant to say that, that it is God himself who embodies the perfect union of, you know, Mishpat and Chesed. Right. right? Exactly. And even humility in his, in his unique way. I mean, it's God. And that means that what is God asking you to do um, it's kind of a, it, it's almost back to where we began on the, we we've okay. started with that notion of, Oh, we give what we would think, what we would want to give. Right. right. And what he's asking us to do is give him what he actually wants, which turns out that we would just be like him <laughs> and be, be with like him. That. Yes. Right. God uh, wants children. Which ironically <laughs> means we'll know what to we'll know what he wants because it will become what we want. Right. right? I mean God actually. Wants children. Real yeah. children. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. God wants children. Not your firstborn. You.
1: Not you? Yeah. Yeah. Be my child.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And that and that walk humbly with your God is a very I, I can't do it justice. Uh no translation it's it's very much a a picture of a child walking stumbling needing help from god right holding Not hold cleaning. my hand because i'm gonna yep. fall
1: on that rock if you don't you know yeah god wants children oh wow
0: well and we is... are
1: those that god wants as children <laughs> yeah. wow
0: that's beautiful well this is a very moving conversation thanks so much let's take a quick break and then uh come back and do some sermon starters all righty <laughs> Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at Micah 6, verses 1 through 8, with Reverend Dr. Sophia Fasua, one of my favorite guests to have on. Thanks so much again for being here. I enjoy these
1: conversations with you, John.
0: (laughs) Yeah, oh, I enjoy it greatly. I learned so much from you and with you. Um, So let's explore some sermon starters. Where where would we want to go? I mean, we already had a bunch of ideas on the table, but as we kind of hone in on, you know, if you were preaching this text, perhaps even on the the day I believe it's this is set for the third or fourth. I can't remember. I want to look it up now, but not that yeah, it has to it's, be. It's um, some, somewhere between like
1: January yep. February.
0: Yeah, fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. So this mm-hmm. would be first first Sunday of February this year. Um, though it would come around every three years. So uh, if you were uh, working on a sermon, where where might you head? What direction? What what focus um, or and or form might you give uh, to a sermon on this text? Um,
1: well, you, you 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 remember that I worked in preaching for one of our agencies, um, yeah. And we did um, sermon helps and that kind of thing. And we also did series suggestions, ah. sermon series suggestions. Okay. And this was actually, I, you know, I went to 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 look it up, and this was actually part of a sermon series suggestion uh, because we had a lot of our pastors. We are. Uh, strongly suggested, but not required, to use the lectionary in my denomination. And a lot of our younger pastors in particular said, How do I do a sermon series like the other guys do? You know, right. Uh, and, right. And, 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 and so we, we put some series together, and um, it was in the series of, of great things that God has called us to.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And so Matthew 16 and 24 was a great commitment. Uh, John 3.16 was a great redemption. Uh, The great commandment was Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. The great commission, Matthew 28. And then this one was called the great requirement. So if we could look at Micah 8 as a really succinct way that God is telling us what God wants. You know, we're offering all these things that God doesn't want. That God is telling us what God wants, and that it's not a suggestion, it really is a requirement. Just like the Great Commission is really a commission go do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The, 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 the Micah 6 uh, and 8 to um, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's what we are required to do. It's mm. not that the exemplary person does that. No, all of us are supposed to do this. Yeah. One. So I, I dealt with it as a requirement um, in, in a couple of sermons that I've preached. And I also dealt with the accusations that God is right in, in leveling mm. against humanity for not having done this, not only back then, but also now in the present so it's a requirement it's not a suggestion it's not a nice thing to do it's not what holy people do, and other right. people don't you know it this is this is this is baseline christian Christianity
0: yeah it's actually the bare men's not the the bare, the bare minimum not the
1: not 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 the embellishment and not the pious and the holy ones no 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 everybody's called to this
0: and it seems implicit in the text that it's that that renders the 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 acts of of devotion and praise and worship, yes, uh, not odious to God, right? Right. It's, it's it's this underlying uh justice and faithfulness and humility that make it with it's it, they're the sine qua non of right that the the that without which right it's the right. sine qua non of of our uh, faithfulness to God's covenant um, that without these renders all the other stuff um, empty, vacuous and Useless. even exploitative. Right? right. I mean, yeah.
1: And, and so, uh, you know, sometimes I use that Hegelian, uh, you know, structure where this is the ideal, but this is the, the thing that we, we, we actually do, which is kind of against what the uh-huh. ideal is. And you ask the relevant question, what gets us back to, you know,
0: ah. and so
1: playing out, what the church has substituted for the rams and the rivers of oil.
0: Uh, Oh, that's God did good. not
1: need a bigger building. Uh, you know, I, I there, there are a lot of things that we've done for God that God did not ask for. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Know? Now, if you don't fit in your building and you can't do any more multiple services and all that, man, maybe you do need a bigger building, but, but you know, the, the opulence for opulence sake, that's yeah. not what God asked for.
0: Well and if it's the text, it's not saying that the sacrificial practices are evil as such. They are the law as well. It's it's when when a life of justice and mercy is absent, all that stuff is right. just
1: Right. is, right. is
0: useless that. or worse. Um, but you know, there's functional uh, uh, value to the things that we do, but uh, these other kinds of things. But when we think that those are the thing, ah, I've given God this wonderful thing. Right. It's like,
1: no, right. I didn't ask for that. No, I, I asked ask for
0: you anything. to walk humbly with you. You. Yeah.
1: So, so looking at some of the things <laughs> oh, that's in good. A particular, you know, in the particular setting, because we, we usually ask our, our students to be current with their context. Right. And so maybe even questioning, was this us or was this God asking for it? In humility, because there we are with that humility has got to be there with this kind of a sermon, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, in humility and not feigned humility, but a true, you know, gentle asking um, and maybe even a gentle asking about our, 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 our our piety, um, our, our quiet times Our, you know, is what did, did we give God what God asked for? Mm. Did they result in justice, mercy, and a humble walk with God? You know, so this is a difficult sermon because it it doesn't it it goes beyond the generic and gets real specific. Yep, yep. It goes beyond the 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 thirty thousand foot view and hallelujah everybody and gets down to weeping and mourning and tearing our clothes. Yeah, um, have we been God's children? Yeah, and it's how, it's, it, a, it's a
0: repentant sermon. Huh. It's a, re- it's a sermon of calling to repentance. It, it seems is. impossible to preach. It seems unfaithful to, to, to preach any other way. I mean, meekly and humbly, but nevertheless, an invitation to repent. Um. Wow. Yeah, that it's, I was uh, delighted to hear that I'm not the only Hegelian preacher out there. Yeah. Uh, I've seen others. I don't know if they know that's yeah. what they're doing when they say it, but. Because and it occurs to me that there's and this would be a little kind of mini uh this would be a little mini Hegelian triad inside the sermon, perhaps somewhere in the middle there mm-hmm, is um, mm-hmm. there is a, a, a kind of quasi Hegelian dialectical triad with this this justice mercy humility business mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. in a way justice and mercy are they're na- they're a natural pair of of apparent opposites right, and in some way once you come to the resolution where the two come together as one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you actually just come back to this very simple insight of walking humbly with your god right right to, that that you, is
1: the insight that comes from the two when they're when they've been tension, yes, which
0: turns out to mean. That it's, which is very Hegelian, that the that the last is first, right? You get to the end and realize mm-hmm. it was already there from the beginning. That all, all we really, in a way, you could say the, the answer is to walk humbly uh, before your God with your God, right? To just be utterly, like you said, to give the gift of oneself to God who has given himself to us and to take one's cues from God right. to... Um, Which means discerning in the moment when you need a little more justice, when you need a little more mercy. Um, And and we take our cues from the fact that it's God himself who is the one who is just and the one who is chesed, right? That these are the properties of the divine being first and foremost. And so it's not that I'm rendering to God something that God doesn't already have, but rather participating in God's own way of being in the world. This is God's way of being in the world. And he's just inviting us to be with him in it. Um and not to keep God because of course you could actually turn you know there's all kinds of uh of of hipster justice that's just one oh, more yeah, yeah. one yeah. more offering of 10,000 rivers of oil. Right, it's like it is it's keeping God at arm's length while I do this performance of good works in the world. Um, yeah. When actually our, our actual um, humble walk with him is the heart of it all. Um, not as a substitute for justice and mercy, but, but the kind of heart of it, right? <laughs> it's the
1: heart of it. Yeah. yeah. That was it's just the, the heart thought that
0: came to me when you, mostly you just said Hegel, and my brain went there, but, um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: And, and yeah. this, this is a this is a piece that that um, you want people to go home with it. You want folks to to go home and be haunted by it. Uh, you want them to hmm. wonder: Have I been merciful? Have and, and that children she'll bring that out in you. You know, have I been merciful as I've been yeah. just? Yeah. And 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 did I do it with humility and not with gloating? And you know. You want folks to challenge. struggle with yeah. this. This is not a tie it up in the in, in at the end and put it in a neat little package and then send them home happy. This yeah. would never. That would never fly with this sermon. Um,
0: right, I, form I, I, follows I, I, function, I right? So the form of this thing. sermon has to be a little bit open ended. There may need to even be some quiet, uh, yeah. reflective time of of repentance, of metanoia, of self examination. Um, and to take that into account with the sermon, sometimes you make the mistake of composing a sermon mm-hmm. and then adding the responding experience at the end. Um, yeah. And this is actually the kind of sermon where you could just start with that. What is the kind of last five minutes, 10 minutes of reflection going to look like? And then just ask, how can I compose words to get us to the place where we're ready to do that? Right. Um, right. This would be a good, this would actually be a really good sermon for those who've never done that experiment yeah. of, I mean, you and I often, because we think of preaching as crafting experiences, not just right, right handing on ideas. I mean, when I'm when I'm tight and I don't have a lot of time, work on a sermon, I fall I fall into my autopilot, which is ha- make ideas in my head, d- develop some interesting Hegelian mm-hmm. uh, triad, and explain it, and then like, uh oh, now what, right? Uh, but to really, occasionally, really helps to flip that script and start with the end, start with the the liturgy of response, whether you call it liturgy in your tradition. Right. Or not. And, and
1: I have a piece of liturgy for, we have time. Yeah.
0: Oh, well let's end with that. Let's end with that. Yeah. That would be great. I, our, I think. Our,
1: all right. This is, this is a unison prayer. And, um, I have often struggled, you know, especially with hearing, you know, the the, the idea of the, the silence at the end and maybe even exiting in silence without the band and without the postlude and without the, you know, the other things that we normally do with that. But I, I've struggled with whether this goes before the sermon or after the sermon. Ah, okay. Uh, but, but here it is. Give us, O Lord, an eye for injustice. For it is only when we are able to recognize injustice and feel its awful sting that we are moved to make things right. Hmm. Give us, O Lord, a tender heart. Sometimes we are too hard-hearted to recognize when we have been uncaring, unfeeling, or unkind. Grant us, O Lord, the ability to view life from the dust. All our lives we've been taught to make others proud, to be proud of ourselves, to hold our heads high, all the while missing the virtues of being poor in spirit. Teach us, dear Lord, to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. Amen.
0: Amen. Yeah, it's a good place to end. Thank you so much, uh, Sophia, for the the time you've given. Thanks, as always, to our audience for listening in when you do. And as always, I want to have the humility to say thank you to all those who helped make this uh, podcast possible. Thanks to, to Todd and to Eric and all the production work to Tom and the music he provides. And with that said, we say to y'all have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.